Hello from ABA Mid-Year Meeting 2017 in Miami, Florida. I'm Lawrence Galetti. And I'm Reed Trouts. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. And we're back. And so uh, we're closing out our coverage at ABA Mid-Year 2017. I'm, I'm still sitting at the table with uh, Mr. Reed Trouts. He was so kind in a prior interview just, just moments ago to help me co-host on immigration. Not my, uh, admittedly, not my area of expertise. And, and he did a bang-up job in there. So welcome back, Reed. Thank you, Lawrence. Appreciate it. Glad to be here and be here at the ABA Mid-Year Meeting. You know, I'm so glad that uh, you know you sat with me because you know I think you really provided a lot of insight. And, and not only attending the event, we couldn't be there at the time, but uh, all the talk about immigration this is a passionate issue for you. Uh, where we go as a country with this, and so you know I think the questions you asked in that interview were, were terrific. So I just wanted you know kind of open this up. We're doing a little follow up here, and just uh, you know that was a wonderful grouping of people put together. What were your impressions? Well, I enjoyed the panel earlier today that the ABA Commission on Immigration sponsored. It also included Judge Marks and uh, uh, Esther Oliveria. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really, uh, there's a lot of information that has been flowing out uh, from the White House, from the executive agencies, through the media. Uh, and, you know, some of it's accurate, some of it's confusing. Some of it's just plain confusing because we're hearing one thing and then, you know, uh, 24 hours later or a day later, we'll hear something, you know, an adjustment to what was interpreted, you know, the day before. So it's been a very uh, interesting and uh, for some immigration lawyers, very tiring few weeks. Yeah, no, I would agree. And so, you know, obviously we were talking before, I've been in a bit of a news hole while we were while we were traveling. And so, you know, a little bit that I was able to pay attention, you know, I did notice it seemed like there's miscommunication from the Trump administration, certainly uh, in communicating what these executive orders would do. But also, I think the the media the kind of glommed onto it. Uh, you know, every source seemed to either misstate it or not totally understand it. And I think some of that was, uh, you know, the overall messaging was coming in the days that followed. And we heard Esther say that, you know, these executive orders weren't necessarily drafted the way prior administrations have done them, that they weren't that clear uh, because they didn't always use legal terms or terms of art that we see, or they may have misinterpreted some of those. Uh, so, you know, we've had three executive orders so far, right? Uh, basically one on border security, and it includes the wall, but it includes hiring more agents, and it includes what to do with people near the border. It also includes a second executive order on interior security, and it expands, for example, it says that it's going to expand expedited removal. Now, expedited removal is a term of art. It's, it's a quick way to remove some people from this country who meet certain categories. But for right now, we have the law that says expedited removal only matters if you are apprehended within 100 miles of the U.S. border. So what is going to take precedence, that executive order or the language of the statute? Well, it should be the language of the statute. So that's why people are up in arms. They're saying, that, you know, this, these types of things shouldn't happen. Uh, and then the third executive order that have been issued in the last few weeks, and we're going to expect some more. We'll get to that in a bit. But the third order is one that has really gotten the media's attention and the attention of a lot of lawyers, uh, enough so that these lawyers have flocked to airports to see what they can do to help. And that is to ban people who are from seven countries that are 
countries that our government, and this goes back to the Obama administration, our government says doesn't do a good enough job vetting people for travel security, for airport security. And those seven countries also happen to be you know, Muslim majority countries. And that raises people, especially lawyers, that says, oh, wait a second, is this a religious ban? You know, what is going on here? And the fact that this happened on a Friday evening, right, that that third executive order was issued on a, late on a Friday evening, where you had people, uh, no notice, there was no uh, grace period to say, okay, this will take effect in 30, it took effect immediately. So you literally had people on planes, and our members, right, members of the American Immigration Lawyers Association, are getting calls from family members who are in touch with their family members because they now have Wi-Fi on their plane, and they're saying, hey, I've been, you know, just been told this, and what do I do? And so there was a, a really was a, a panic by those families. Uh, many of them, many of these people have their legal permanent residence. That means they have their so-called green card, right? And, you know, they weren't really supposed to be subject to this order. Well, they were. And some of the confusion is then very shortly thereafter, they weren't. Secretary of Homeland Security, John Kelly, came out and issued a statement that basically said to the folks at the airports, to the border and customs people, said, let them in. And it wasn't supposed to apply to them. So the administration kind of rolled it out clumsily. There's uh, inartful drafting of them. So there's plenty of confusion within the order. And it's going to take time. And quite frankly, a lot of legal time, a lot of lawyers are going to be spending time over the coming weeks, months, probably even years, kind of figuring out this. We'll see. But if you thought that was enough, there's four more executive orders probably coming in the next several weeks. Well, before we get to that, I, I'd like to use this opportunity, hopefully to provide some clarity, because I, I know that this issue was certainly confusing for me, you know, and especially as I try to watch as many news sources as I can, uh, just to stay current. But uh, I'd like, if you could, if you could walk us through, and I think the travel ban is kind of the real rub. That's what got most people's attention anyway, whether you're an, an attorney or not. And so I'd like us to kind of just walk through, you know, like what's banned, who's banned, you know, versus who's not. And, you know, because I know that there's been a lot of you know, communication back and forth, but I think that would be, you know, Legal Talk Network, we talk about legal issues. I think this would be a great opportunity for us to provide some clarity on this sensitive issue. Well, it's hard for me to provide clarity. I am not out there every day with, uh, like our members are, we have 14,000 members and many of them, you know, were at these airports last week. But what this was a part of was visas, right? There's immigrant and non-immigrant visas. An immigrant visa is I have an intent to come to the United States and become part of the United States. A non-immigrant visa is one where I don't intend to stay there forever, but I have a job. It may be a, um, someone who's from another country wants to come in and is going to teach, uh, be a professor at a university. It might be a computer programmer whose skills are needed, but they come in, you know, for a short period of time to do that work. So, People who come in for on a business visa or just a visitor's visa, those were all canceled immediately. Okay. So people who thought they were legal to be here, you know, were not. And if they were stuck outside of the country, the airlines who can get fined for allowing people who aren't allowed to be in this country, they get fined for having them on their manifest, they started to prevent people from getting on flights. And then, you know, then there's discussions because they try to work through... Uh, the government agencies to get clarity. And as I say, it came out on a Friday night. So over the weekend, it was hard to do that. Our associations, we have relationships. We were trying to find out on behalf of our members, on behalf of their clients, what's going on. And we would get an answer. And then 
maybe a different agency would have a different interpretation of it. And that continues today. Part of that is too, there's litigation, there's over 50 cases. There's now, a, as we're recording this, a uh, injunction that has been issued to stop all of this. But if there's another court hearing at a higher court very soon, that could change again. It's a very fluid situation. It's very hard, especially if you're an immigrant to this country right now, to know what's going on and where to get the best information, where, you know, trusted information. And it's just uh, caused a lot of chaos that some people say is intentional, but it's just something that as this filters down, as people talk about it within their communities, they're going to realize that this has an effect not just on the immigrants themselves, but on the communities, the neighbors, the uh, workplaces all across America. So, I mean, just in terms of today, you know, uh, on Friday it started off, so uh, immigrant visas and uh, non-immigrant visas, people holding those were not allowed to come in. But later that was cleared up at some point. And so now they're allowed to come in. I, I realize there's still some confusion, but as it currently stands now, they're allowed to come in. Yes, they are. Okay. And so what I just, I'm trying to, I'm trying to map it out because I'm trying to understand it as well. And so now the travel ban, so this isn't every place. This is seven, seven countries. countries. Okay. Right. And so and I, this is one of the things that I saw in the news is that, you know, it was called the Muslim ban, which, you know, obviously sounds awful, but it's really the way it's set up is it's everybody from that country. Right. So in terms of the ban, it's people coming from these, everybody coming from these countries, correct? That's right. Whether they're coming to visit family members or they're in a refugee program, it's applying. Uh, and whether, the, the, whether the order, the executive order applies it to everybody. But okay. again, like right all now, citizens of those countries. Yeah. yeah. So if you have a, a daughter here who's a U.S. citizen, but, you know, you're an Iranian, you know, your parents are, live in Iran and they want to come over for the wedding, they would have to be, they can't come in for a period now of, of 90 days until there's a, the process of vetting them has been reviewed and either that stays or maybe there's a new vetting process, whether that has to be done by regulation and can't be done by executive order. There, you know, there's still legal questions, you know, to be answered. Right. So, I mean, just by point of clarity, so that's everybody from these seven nations, all citizens of these nations are now not allowed, at least temporarily. Temporarily not allowed. But again, <laughs> this is right. why it's confusing. The injunction now says, no, you got to let them in. But we'll see what happens you know, in that process. But it was particularly, uh, you know, for lawyers who, you know, we, you know, there's, you know, due process and there's just sort of the fundamental, you know, rights to say to a person who's got a green card, they've been here for a long time, they're a fabric, they're part of the community, they, you know, they own homes, they own businesses, they've got kids in college, whatever it is, to then say they can't come back into the country because they happen to be, you know, they didn't have to even visiting their home country. It's, the concern was that they have a passport from one of those seven countries, okay? And then, you know, many of them have a second passport, okay? Maybe from Canada or another country that they may have been before they, they came to the States. Well, there was confusion as to whether they could use one or, or the other or if they were going to be kept out. And so, you know, part of good government is communicating with the citizens, with the people of the country to explain the law and those changes. And we often see a grace period. You know, the law doesn't take effect the day it was enacted sometimes, but a lot of times there's a, you know, it says, well, this will take effect, you know, July 1. And that didn't happen here. And that, that was, I think, what caused a great part of the confusion 
because our, our members were trying to, you know, get the word out to their clients to say, if you're traveling, you know, either don't or you need to take extra documentation with you to be able to present at the border. So, you know, it was just a clumsily rolled out and, you know, probably worse. So people flying, if they, if they have a passport from one of these seven countries, they're not allowed in. And so they're not allowed to get on planes. And so I have a kind of a weird question for you. And I'm not terribly familiar with the immigration laws and how the airports and international airways operate. But, you know, what if you're flying through one of those countries on the ban? You got a different passport, but you're flying through. Was there problems with that as well? Or, uh, You know, I, I don't know that answer. I don't think so because, um, but it, it was just, you know, if you had... Uh, yeah, I don't know the answer to that, Lawrence. I'm sorry, I can't. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. That, that, that's, uh, that's what it's for. We're trying right. to provide a little clarity. So, so far, what I'm hearing, <laughs> and this is what, I mean, this is all the confusion with this, and it's sad because, you know, unfortunately, real people are getting caught up in this confusion, right. is that we had a travel ban that uh, was intended to ban people carrying passport citizens of seven nations, but not people that already received their immigration or non-immigration visas. And then that was for a period of 90 days. But now there's a hold on that. And that, that, does this have something to do with Judge James Robarth uh, putting it? That was the injunction he put in, right? Basically saying he's lifting the, the travel ban. Was that The correct? one from Washington State yesterday. Yeah. So, it, you know, I believe the State Department has then come out and said, OK, you know, we're reinstating those visas. So, you know, it's sort of, you know, back to the way it was, at least for the time being. And the order from Washington is a little bit different than the others because this one expressly is national in scope and the others were either not or questionable whether they were national in scope but this one really is so that's why it's had more of an impact than a couple of other cases that were coming up early in the week okay again this is really confusing <laughs> so i'm glad we have you here to kind of explain that so i kind of basically we're right back where we started before all of this kicked in for now for now but i think you know uh, the lawyers of America have had a wake-up call. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I mean, judging from all of the communications I've read, and I even got a call from my boss over the weekend. It's like, you won't believe what happened at LAX. And so, you know, we were talking about that. So I know that there's some additional executive orders coming. I know you've had your eye on them. And, uh, you know, obviously this is a heads-up for attorneys out there. And I guess, is this also a heads-up for people traveling? Well, I, it doesn't include the travel ban. It's really for people who are here. And, and one of the big ones is some of the executive orders that, you know, people have seen that, you know, you can call them leaked or just drafts that are, you know, being shown to, you know, other people. Well, one of them is for DACA, and that's the uh, deferred action for childhood arrivals. This is the so-called dreamers, the people who have been here, uh, their parents brought them here, but they never, they have been here un undocumented. And what happens is, is that they go through our education system. They are, uh, you know, part of the community. They grow up with the kids in the neighborhood, and they get to a point where, well, they don't have a social security number. They can't work. They can't go to college. So the uh, DACA program under the prior administration gave them not legal status, but it said we're not going to we're not going to come after you, and you can work now. Um, but it was temporary. They knew that, and now. And that's you the know, current status. That's the current. That's the current status. Okay. And that still goes today. And those are really sympathetic group of kids. I mean, the, the country their parents brought them from, is not really their home country. It may have been their country of origin, but you know they're part of America now. And many of them came very young. Some came as teenagers. But do we really want to? 
force them back to a country they don't know. And so we believe that there'll be an executive order that, that does just that. And we've seen, you know, most of Americans who've been polled on this for the you know, past several years, it's like 65 or 70 percent of Americans support letting the dreamers stay in. So that one's also very questioning. There's going to be one that's going to change uh, the immigration system itself, um, much of it to do with employment-based uh, visas. People who come here, again, either temporarily to work or come to work through, uh, come to become citizens because they've, they have a job here. And that's going to change. What kind of changes are going to take place with that if it goes into well, effect? Uh, so, uh, or is no, predicted? Again, I, I, and I have not seen uh, the executive order, but we expect that the H-1B program, this is the non-immigrant where you can come for a period of years and work. A lot of times those are high-skilled people, you know, computer programmers, other people, and it may become more difficult to get those visas uh, for companies to compete. Right now with H-1Bs, you've got to pay a foreign worker, the same that you're paying a uh, American worker for that same position. And now there's going to be changes that will, you know, possibly favor the American worker. But is it going to be, our business is going to get the best people that they could hire uh, for the work that needs to be done? We're in a global economy. We've got to compete globally. Uh, so there's also... Wait, I just want to uh, recap on that just real quick. So do you have any wind of specifics of those changes? Well, I mean, you know, there's also one, uh, the EB-5, the investor's visa, and there's talk that uh, right now uh, you invest either a half a million or a million dollars, that those thresholds will be raised to make it, you know, more costly uh, for that immigrant investor to come in. Uh, we're seeing that. It may limit, you know, all of these have numerical limits, and they haven't been raised in years. For example, the H-1B, the numerical limit hasn't been raised in, I don't know, well over a decade. So those are always taken up every year. We may not have use for those anymore, and we may be preventing people who could really help with entrepreneurship and innovation in technology in this country, uh, because many of them, many of them have been educated in our system, but they happen to be citizens of China or India or other countries. Some of the other executive orders we'll see is maybe a, a registry for people from some of these other countries to make sure that they are, they give us more information about themselves and where they are and what they plan to do than say a visitor from another country. And then also one that further defines uh, an immigrant's access to public benefits, which depending on your category are really quite restricted, but we'll see what this new one may have to say. So lots of changes are on the horizon too. And I would just encourage lawyers to pay attention and to you know seek out sort of those legal resources, not just necessarily media resources, although they can, you know, rely on, but there's information from, you know, our association, from American Immigration Council, from the ABA, from a number of immigrant advocacy organizations that publish reports and white papers on, on these types of issues. Well, that sounds like there's going to be a lot of work in immigration coming up shortly. A lot of work in immigration. You know, our association welcomes new members, but we have lots of resources that are available to any lawyer that's really interested in, in learning more and seeing where they can fit into the process. And with all these process issues and, you know, conflicts in, in between law and other things, there's going to be enough if lawyers want to get involved. 
in the sort of the non-immigration aspect of these issues, we welcome litigators and other people to, to join in and, you know, help shape the direction of the law in this country. And we were talking about that at dinner last night. You know, you were saying you, know, you don't have to have training in this particular area of law to make a difference, to contribute your hours towards some results. And so I know you just said litigators and who are kind of the other areas of law that, uh, that blend well with immigration. Yeah, well, I think one of them is that we're seeing these sweeping executive orders, but they may conflict, at least on their face, with the written statutes or the regulations that are there. Uh, so an administrative lawyer, administrative law practitioner, would be helpful to be able to help dissect that and put some context to that. And whether that's helping in a case or, or just you know, writing an article or, or you know, doing a guest blog post uh, for someone to explain. I, I, I people need to know, you know, what the law really says about this. This is a very political issue, right? Very, very political. But at the end of the day, it's, it's really the law that matters here. And we need to be able to sort through that on a number of different levels. But I will also say that representing immigrants and being a part of learning an aspect of immigration law is very helpful and there's a lot of I mean it's very rewarding to do that and there's a lot of you know community legal groups that do provide uh, immigration assistance and if you want to stop by you know your local offices and just say hey I'd, I'd like to I'm thinking about helping what would I have to do you could do that too but as I say we've got some good resources on AILA.org that's A-I-L-A.org that can you know, for this executive orders, we've published those so you can read them in their context. You can, we've published a summary of each of the provisions so that you can get a better sense of, of what they mean. And there's other resources about, you know, lawyering, to being an immigration lawyer in the current environment. Okay, so just one last question, Reed, before we close it out for today. So uh, obviously, you know, Ayla, you know, they could contact you through there, but, uh, you know, I think it helps, you know, trying to get some, uh, some people to give you a hand. Tell everybody what you need. I mean, in terms of, you know, legal firepower, uh, in terms of resources, what are you looking for? So really, the number one thing is because all lawyers, right, we all have a duty, uh, we all have a love for the law, we all feel that we have a sense of, of what, you know, due process is and what legal rights are, is if you're interested in this area, to learn about it, okay, to learn about the issues we've been talking about today. And if you're troubled by what's going on, is to make your voice heard through your community. Let people know how you feel, you know, let people know, share that with your community, that there's lawyers in the community that are concerned about the direction of our country. If you Want to learn immigration law? Great. There are also plenty of organizations out there that could use donations. They want to hire young, experienced immigration lawyers for their legal services group. They may not have that. So donations to those groups. But just paying attention and deciding to get involved when it's right for you, I think is that's what's right right now in, with what's going on in our country. And I encourage people to just continue to listen and learn, and then turn around and become an advocate for what you think our immigration system and our constitutional system should be. Well, we've reached the end of the road for today's episode, but Reed, I want to say a special thank you to you for helping us through and uh, being part of two interviews here, giving us a lot of information on immigration and what's going on today. And I know our listeners will get a lot of it. So thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us, listeners. I, I hope you found this episode as educational as I did. 
And if you like what you heard today, I would just ask God that you uh, reach out and, uh, and uh, rate us in iTunes. And we'll see you next time when we get back on the road with Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.